And I'm Sarah. And you're listening to Dead Cat on the Line, an internationally focused true crime podcast. Where two very anxious people overanalyze everything. Your cats are harmed in the making of this podcast. and it's Edward at the moment, right? Yeah, Edward's still with me right now. They're hanging out in my living room while I record. And uh, so I went out there between our recordings. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I opened my door, they came running at me. Mom, pay attention. We've been yelling at you. Mom, 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 we thought you were dead. Mom. I love cats. I feel like Artemis, I'm going to be honest, though, is not very good at being a cat. He would be an excellent puppy. He'd be so good at it. He is definitely puppy-ish. I think he'd be a very good puppy. He's just not very good at being a cat. (laughs) I don't think he has a single aloof bone in his body. No, not really. He's, He's not very aloof. He is very good at getting into trouble and knocking things off the counters, though. That's like his, I was going to say, special power hobby. That's that's where his cat side comes in, is knocking things off counters. It's his side hustle. You know, like how we have a podcast, he knocks things off the counter, and I think that's beautiful. Yes, yes, that's, that's his thing. Good, good, I'm glad. I'm glad. Everybody needs a hobby. Everyone needs a hobby. <laughs> Yeah, hobbies. Hobbies are good. <laughs> You're like, remember when we had those? <laughs> and when, then when we gave we them before we started a podcast. Before let's do it before we started a podcast and never had a free Sunday ever again for the rest <laughs> of our lives. So guys, um, actually, if you can do everything you can to prevent the success of this show, <laughs> no, don't do as- that. Definitely, definitely what we want. We're joking. Like we, I'm sorry. I've given up too. I'm sorry. I've given up too many Sundays for this to not do well. Exactly. Like I don't want to have wasted my time for nothing. (laughs) So you're like on the philosophical thing. I'm just on the on the bitterness thing of like that is a whole (laughs) a whole time. I won't get back. You know, I bought a letter board for this this podcast. (laughs) You better do well. You'd better do well. I spent a whole two dollars on this from like Daiso. <laughs> oh goodness. So if you are listening or still listening, I know I don't know about you, I li- I binge listen to podcasts. So if you are still listening, welcome, yes. welcome back. As you can see, the, the quality has not improved. <laughs> I think it's actually going down a bit. <laughs> I think it's going downhill. Somehow it is getting worse, and I'm not sure how we did that. <laughs> It's a it's a skill. It's a talent. Um, you know, it takes real, real commitment to continuously lower our own standards. <laughs> that's that's I was trying to think of a nice a nice way to put it and I was like, there is there is no nice way, is there? There's no, no... you just have to you just have to say it. <laughs> there is no nice way at all. However, we do have a super fun case today. So oh, yes. Yes. Don't don't click the back button. Don't <laughs> do it. We started off this episode talking about hobbies. 
and I'm about to tell you about a really fun hobby that okay. happened. Okay, what, what is this? Can I do this hobby now? Can I take a guess at what this hobby is? You can take a guess. So it's it, not a podcast. It's not a podcast. And it's okay. not something you can still do. Um, oh my god. Um, see, everything I'm thinking of, I'm like, no, you, you, you could still um, work a full-time job and still support yourself financially. <laughs> that's not a hobby, is it? That's not no, a hobby. No, that's not really a hobby. Good that's guess, just though. <laughs> A grim, the grim political reality we live in. <laughs> okay, so horse riding. Well, it okay. does have something to do with horses. Ooh, ooh. See, so it's, it's horse riding, but Not, the horse yeah. you're riding is because you only have a horse as a form of transportation. Yes. It's good. See, we're getting somewhere. Uh, there is not re- so much horse riding, but there are horses involved. Okay, okay. So you're not allowed to do it. So presumably there is now a law against it. Yes. I want you to know that there are at least six bestiality jokes I could make at this point that I'm not going to. <laughs> and I want us to just take a moment and appreciate. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. That took a lot of restraint on my part. So, I, okay, I have no idea. Just tell me, tell me. Okay, so this super fun hobby that okay. we are totally missing out on is stagecoach robbing. Yes! I've always wanted to rob a stagecoach. Yes. So, today, we are going into bandit territory as I tell you about the last stagecoach robbery of the Wild West. Oh my god. Okay, I'm so ready. Well, before we get into that, I'm going to take you on a little history lesson about the Wild West so that we can kind of understand the whole situation about this. Okay, okay, okay. So the Wild West was a period of time that falls between the late 19th century and early 20th century. So after... Is there going to be, is there, is there going to be a test on this? There's not going to be a test. Okay, that's good. If there's a test, I'll be, a, I'll be surprised. So after the Louisiana Purchase in 1803, which... What is the Louisiana Purchase? I was about to get to that. I'll behave. The Louisiana Purchase was a transaction that President Thomas Jefferson made, uh, which gave the U.S. a large portion of what we now call the Midwestern states. So it was a lot of territory that the United States bought, I want to say from France, and is now in the U.S.'s uh, possession. After the Louisiana Purchase in 1803, President Thomas Jefferson began promoting an idea called Manifest Destiny. Now, pretty much every American listening to this podcast knows what Manifest Destiny is. Well, I'm very sorry for every American listening to this, but I have no clue. So you're all just going to have to sit with it. I'm going to explain it, yes. Thank you. So pretty much every American will have learned this in school. But for those of you outside of the United States, like Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> Manifest Destiny was basically the belief that Americans were destined by God to govern North America. And so the expansion into the unsettled territories and spread of American virtues was completely justifiable. I have a question. Yes. Does Thomas Jefferson take constructive criticism? No. (laughs) 
because like thanks <laughs> i hate it i hate this so much yeah um i'm pretty sure he was very bad about taking criticism but yeah i'm pretty sure i mean i've only seen thomas jefferson as as uh, you know as depicted in the hit musical hamilton but, <laughs> you know yeah hamilton jefferson was definitely he would not take criticism well i mean it seemed very accurate i won't lie to you i learned more about american history than i think i've ever done in the space of those two hours so so of course we we know that all these unsettled territories mentioned uh were actually not unsettled and uh the expansion of americans from the 13 original colonies resulted in horrific consequences for the native american tribes already living on those lands but since i'm not qualified to speak on behalf of those voices that will have to be a topic for another day yeah we're just gonna we're just gonna acknowledge it and we acknowledge it I am not going to be the voice speaking about it because I do not have that authority. So it happened. It was a bad thing that happened. But moving on. They're like, yeah, we sure did that. That was <laughs> we did. <laughs> we did. So with this new land, uh, many people began traveling out west, seeking new lives. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially as the United States gained even more territory, such as California, Texas, and Oregon. <laughs> the biggest thing that brought people out west was the California Gold Rush. Which yes, I love the Gold Rush. The Gold Rush was in 1848, and it ended up bringing approximately 300,000 people to California in search of gold. So boom towns were popping up all over California, including what's now the city of San Francisco. And the majority of people coming to California during this time were men planning to pan for gold. So, so San Francisco was actually a boomtown? Yes. It was Ooh. originally a boomtown, which became a very large city. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, the rest of the stuff isn't cool, but like that part's cool. Well, and I have to, I have to pause here to talk about something really cool I found while researching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, on the Wikipedia article that I started my research on, there is a section devoted specifically to homosexuality in San Francisco at the time. Yes, light on me. Proportionate number of men and women. So San Francisco was called the city of bachelors and was known to have a flourishing gay culture. And I just thought that was really cool because San Francisco is still one of the largest and most prominent LGBT cultures in the world. And I'm pretty sure the Gold Rush is where the uh, nickname the city has uh, of the original gay-friendly city comes from. I love that. I love that so much. I know. It's, it's so cool. It has very little bearing on what I'm going to talk about, but it was really cool. But however, but however, you can contain multitudes. You can be both a stagecoach robber and a very devoted boyfriend to your to your male partner. I think that's and I think that's beautiful, really. Absolutely, but like, I will see this live, has very little relevance to the robber we're talking about today. Listen, live, live your truth. <laughs> it has live very it. little relevance, and you will see why. 
Okay, okay, just, okay. Go just, on. Just wait. So by the year 1853, the U.S. had the majority of the land that makes up our current country, if not as states, then as territories. So like, mm-hmm. the land is still there. It's not officially a state, but it's in America. So what do you um, have to do to become a state? Uh, I think you have to have like a certain number of people and cities to legally become a state. I don't know. It's been a very long time since we've had a territory become a state. But like at this time, most of the territories in the United States were still territories because they were largely unsettled by people like moving out west. And since it was largely unsettled, that meant that it was pretty dangerous. This is where the term the Wild West comes from. Mm-hmm. So life in the unsettled wilderness tended to be very dangerous, especially mm-hmm. in the early years when there were only a few towns set up. Trappers and hunters were the first to head into the wilderness ahead of any pioneers. Is this is this Cannibal Party historical territory? Yes. I realized that was not the technical words for anything. <laughs> I had to think about that. But yes. It's the it's the Donner Party, right? The Donner Party, yes. And I will mm-hmm. be covering them at a later point. Yes, please. I was about to say, Ali, Definitely. I will actually give you the entire contents of my purse, which is not a lot. Yeah. Please do the Donner Party. <laughs> I will do the Donner Party. So they were they were some of the pioneers who like headed out west. Miners were heading out west to California was obviously the most popular spot for mining. But boomtowns were popping up anywhere good mining could be found. Mm-hmm. And these towns were largely populated by men. Uh, some of them brought their families with them. Many others did not. But so where wherever miners went, brothels and saloons were sure to follow. And this, like, bye, bye, honey. I'm just moving to look for gold. Yeah, in the most one of the most dangerous places. Yeah, in the not country, quite con- like certified country. Yeah, but basically, bye. Have yeah, a, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like brothels, saloons, miners, bunch of men. This created a. Fairly rough culture within the towns, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with the towns pretty much out in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. far from any major U.S. cities and government at this point, they were pretty much left to govern and fend for themselves. I think we just need to point out about this, is the fact that America still has not had a female president. Given the track record of what happens when predominantly only men seem to govern small towns <laughs> in America, I just, I just wonder. I, I mean, I don't just want to. Are men, are men really equipped? Given this sheer like tendency towards emotional outbursts <laughs> in saloons, right? I mean, can we, re- can we really trust them with the button? <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent point. Yeah, and we've just lost. 20 subscribe. We, we liked you until you talked about politics. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. Oh, well. <laughs> so right. they were pretty much left to govern for themselves. In addition, after the end of the Civil War in 1865, mm-hmm. there were several states which remained divided and saw many ex-Confederate insurgencies against the Union. So this is where a lot of the bandits and gunslingers of the Wild West come from. Many were insurgency groups, which then became outlaw gangs. Others were people that reveled in the general lawlessness and fend-for-yourself attitude of the Old West. 
seeking out their own form of justice and becoming outlaws in the process. I'd have lasted like five minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> and then there were those who saw the lawlessness of the frontier as an opportunity to create quick money by robbing trains and stagecoaches before disappearing into the open lands of the Old West. The thing is, I always have this question about the idea of disappearing into open land. And I think this might be a very like British mindset. To me, open land, you can still see the people from a distance. So how can you... Well, the thing is, <laughs> yes, up until a point, you can see mm-hmm. them. But there's so much land mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. once they get out of sight... You basically lose them. Like I think this is the, the I think this is the Sarah. America is very big talk, isn't it? <laughs> Listen, like it takes two days of me driving my car to get out of my single state. I don't like that. Think about people on horseback trying to get through states. Like there is a lot of land here. I'm not like this thing that always used to you know, like wild well in Wild West films. So they're like, I am being chased by the law. I would always just like leave the state. <laughs> like nobody's talking to each other at this point yeah. you just leave the state and one of my friends did once say they were like that is a very British thing to say yeah. <laughs> the concept is like just leave the surrounding area they're like it's not that easy to do it's gonna take forever Sarah <laughs> Sarah we're on a time limit here Sarah <laughs> But so, yeah, like, the open land, you can still see them, but, I mean, the people who just got robbed, it's going to take them time to find authorities. And during that time to find authorities, the other people are going to, like, vanish from sight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And okay. it's this wide open land that has is still largely unsettled. Okay. Yeah. Who we are talking about today is going to fall into that last category of stagecoach robbers and train robbers so the case on I, say, is that, I just have to point out is the noise i'm hearing a dog yelling or is that your is that artemis because i was about to be like that is not no that's that's a dog who just passed by under okay. my apartment window and started barking for some well, I, I, hope, I hope he's having a nice day I mean, he seems to be having a nice... It's really sunny out, and he's he's on a walk, which is always good. He's having a great time. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so the case. <laughs> yes. So the actual reason that we're recording. Continue. Yes. On May 30th, 1899, one of the last stagecoaches in operation in Arizona's territory mm-hmm. was on route to Florence, Arizona, when it was robbed by two outlaws. The stagecoach didn't have a shotgun messenger, as the route it took had not been robbed in several years. What's a shotgun messenger? Basically someone who rides along with the stagecoach with a shotgun and is (laughs) prepared to ride to the nearest town in order to talk about, like, any robberies that happen. Yes! Yes! (laughs) That's a real job in the Wild West. Yes. Yes, it was. Oh, I'm so happy right now. I wish you could see my. I wish you could see my face. <laughs> I like went from sitting up and just toppled in sheer joy onto my side. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. Sorry, continue. I'm just. I'm just gonna stay here a little bit. Okay. This stagecoach didn't have one of these great, great men. Because it had not been robbed in a very long time. 
So they thought. Well, it- I feel like the, the Bank of England hasn't been robbed in a very long bloody time. <laughs> still, <laughs> they still have security. They're still like, hmm, maybe if we take the security away, something <laughs> might happen. You know, maybe. Yeah, Just saying. So, obviously, the stagecoach was not prepared to defend against two outlaws armed with revolvers. One of these outlaws was a down-on-his-luck miner named Joe Boot, whose name is likely an alias. You Really? Yep. Joe yes, Boot. Joe sounds Boot. Like, that sounds <laughs> like the sort of name when, you know, when you're asked at, like, 16 if you have a boyfriend, but, like... You're not that into boys, generally, either as a concept or as like a literal, like real thing. So you have to be like, yeah, I have, I've had a boyfriend. I've had lots of boyfriends. Uh, and they're like, yeah, okay. What was, your, what, was your, what was your last boyfriend's name? And you panic and you look in the window of a store and it's a shoe store. You know, it's like that kind of, you're like, um, <laughs> Joe, Joe Boot, Boot. Yes. Yeah. His name is Joe Boot and he lives in Canada. Oh god, you don't know how relevant this situation actually is to the Okay. 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 <laughs> okay, so Joe Boot is one of the outlaws. He is okay. not the one that we are going to be discussing today. That's so sad. I'm so <laughs> That's it. He'll he'll come into play, obviously, but he is not the main character in this. Episode cancelled, guys. Everyone go home. <laughs> oh, oh just wait. I think you'll be very happy about this. Okay, okay. The other Outlaw robbing this stagecoach was a woman named Pearl Hart. Oh my. Ali, I could kiss you. Yeah. This is, I didn't think anything about this story could get better than Joe Boot. I and knew then, you would like this. <laughs> and then Pearl has just come along and you could say, booted Joe out of the window. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> I'm going to be. <laughs> Always here on the podcast, guys. I'm always, I'm always just here, whether you want it or not. <laughs> well, now you see why, like the the homosexuality thing is not coming into play here. Like, no, no, yeah, okay, yeah. So Pearl Hart was born in 1871 to a middle class family in Ontario, Canada. It, it's all connected. It's all connected. I yeah. feel like. That meme of the the guy with like the red eyes and like the red string conspiracy board, or like or like the most recent meme from uh, BuzzFeed Unsolved, where he's like, "I've connected the two dots." You didn't connect. You didn't connect shit. I connected, connected it. them. Ryan, Shane, we love you. Please we love you so much. Please, please sponsor the podcast. You know, talk about it or become our friends. We would love that. Please just be friends with us. We're so we're so, we're so lonely. We don't have any time. We don't have any time to make friends because we spend all we don't our have time. Any real friends. So we just have each other. We because we spend all our all our Sundays recording. Anyway, so Pearl Hearts. Yeah, let's move. Let's move quickly on from that embarrassing display of emotion. Okay, at age sixteen, Pearl was enrolled in a boarding school where she met and fell in love with a man named Frederick Hart. How did she meet him at the boarding school? Like, was it, a, was it like a co-ed, co-educational? Like? You know, I, I'm not entirely sure. I don't think she met him through school, like actual school, but like may have met him around the town where the school was. There's, there's not like a ton of information on how they met. 
This is why in the 1800s you do not let women leave their houses. Yeah. This is this is where educating women leads, quite <laughs> frankly. So there's there's like not a lot of information about how they met or any of that, but it is known that Frederick Hart was a gambler and a rake. So Oh, don't you love like the fact this is an era where people could be described as a rake? I know. I kind of I miss love- describing people as rakes. Same. But so it, it's no surprise that Pearl's family did not approve of him. Nevertheless, the two of them eloped in eighteen eighty eight and moved down to Chicago. Of course they did. Of course. Well, the marriage was a volatile one. Uh, Frederick soon proved to be abusive. Oh, goody! Good! And Pearl would end up leaving and later reconciling with him several times. Oh, honey, no. I mean, no judgment (laughs) at all. Like, I've no idea what it's like to be in that situation. It must be horrendous. But, like, no, honey. Yeah. So, one of these times was in 1893. So, after after attending the Chicago World's Fair uh, mm-hmm. with Frederick, she had seen Buffalo Bill's Wild West show during the fair mm-hmm. and became enamored with the cowboy lifestyle. Can you, for people who maybe don't know what Buffalo Bill's Wild oh, West show yeah, is, can yeah, you do yeah. like a really quick explanation? Uh, so Buffalo, Bill, blah, blah. Buffalo Bill's Wild West show was basically like a traveling show which involved a lot of imagery of the cowboy lifestyle. There were gunslingers in the show who did a lot of like trick shot stuff. Yeah, like Um, Annie Oakley. Yeah, Annie Oakley was like the most famous one in the Wild West show, which I really want to talk about her, but she never committed any crime. Oh, so you guys are okay. If you've ever seen the guys, if you've ever seen the musical like Annie Get Your Gun, you basically have a gist of what it is. Yeah. With Buffalo Bill's yeah. like show. Like it's a very romanticized version. But yes. I'm not gonna lie, I was definitely watching Annie Get Your Gun while I was researching this case. Oh, I watched it in so long. It's so good. That's kind of the gist of it, is that it's it's a it's an entertainment act, a traveling entertainment act that really uses the cowboy lifestyle aesthetic to (laughs) sell their show. So Pearl Hart saw this and she became enamored with the cowboy lifestyle. So much so that she left her husband to travel to Colorado with him. She traveled to Colorado with a piano player named Dan Bandman. No, no, that's not his real name. You've got to It is. He's Nobody. not. He is not important to this story, but I love his name. Nobody in this sounds like real people. <laughs> I know <laughs> they have names like out of Joe not- Boot, Dan Bandman, Pearl Hart. They they have like names out of like a Wild West erotica novel written <laughs> in the nineteen seventies yeah. by like a middle aged mother of three who has never actually been to america and she is writing from like shropshire in england (laughs) that's me you're like oh big mood big mood (laughs) same uh yeah so 
Dan Bandman. Fabulous name. No importance to this story. But, like, most importance he has to this story is the fact that Pearl ran away with him. But thank you, Dan Bandman. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Moving on. Pearl later described this period of her life by saying, and I quote, I was only 22 years old. I was good-looking, desperate, discouraged, and ready for anything that might come. I love her. Yeah, I I just have to say, that is a fabulous quote. Yes, I I love her. I can't even think of anything, like, remotely witty to say, (laughs) apart from the fact that I think I'm having a small gay meltdown (laughs) over a female bandit from the 1800s who will never love me back. There's so many reasons why not. (laughs) (laughs) During this period, after she ran away to Colorado, she ended up jumping from one city to another, working as a cook and singer, until she ran into her husband again in Phoenix, Arizona. Why is he there? I have no clue, honestly. There is no information on that. He's just there. This is honestly... It is actually like one of those romance novels. That's the sort of thing that happens in them, like a plot. Yeah. God damn it. He's back. He's All right. back. They run into each other, and he convinces her to go to Tucson with him, where they live together until the money Pearl had saved as a cook and singer ran out. Don't pay him. Please. Well, Frederick... Ended up joining the military to fight in the Spanish-American War in 1898. There's not much information about him after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, a lot of people, like, there are conflicting sources about whether he was the one to join the military or Dan Bandman was the one to join the military. But I'm thinking Ma- that Frederick was the one because some sources actually claim that Pearl shocked observers by declaring she hoped he would be killed by the Spanish. I mean, I'm gonna be honest, I don't blame her. Honestly, yeah. If that was me, me too. Spoiler alert, does he get killed by the Spanish? You know, I have no clue. I'm assuming so, since there's not much information about him after this. Yes. Justice. Yeah, either he's killed or he just disappears off the face of the earth. Who knows? Either way, either way, that is, that suits me. I'm down with that. He's done. He's out of Pearl's life. From okay. This. By 1898, Pearl was working as a cook for miners in Mammoth, Arizona, where she mm-hmm. took up with Joe Boot. So Joe Boot is the new boyfriend. Joe Boot is the new boyfriend. God, she has such bad taste in men. And just in terms of the names, I have nothing, <laughs> I, I know nothing about... Jobu or Dan well, Badman. You know, considering that Jobu ended up robbing a stagecoach with her, he's probably not that great either. But to be fair, he is he is standing by her. Well, that's true, yeah. But I think of the three of them, Dan Badman is probably the best choice. I mean, if this was a I'm not saying I know I understand there is oh my god, there's not a visual novel of this, but now I want there to be. <laughs> Dan Badman is the route that you should take. You know, yes. that's a good route. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I'm copyrighting uh, that before anyone tries to make it. I've copyrighted it. It's mine. <laughs> New game. Pearl New Heart game. dating game. Exactly. What the world needs. <laughs> so yeah, Joe Boot was a miner in Mammoth, Arizona. 
And the work was good for a while in Mammoth, but Pearl's economic situation kind of took a large downturn when the mine closed. Mm -hmm. And about this time, Pearl also received a letter from her brother saying that her mother was seriously ill and needed money for medical attention. So Pearl was desperate for money. She first worked an old mining claim with Joe in the hopes of finding something and raising money. But upon she worked she worked as a miner. She worked as a miner. Briefly, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. She helped pan the claim. But upon finding no gold in the claim, the two then decided to rob the stagecoach that traveled between Globe and Florence, Arizona. Yeah, I mean I can see why. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying you should. I'm saying I can see how you get to that point. Yeah. On May 30th, 1899, mm-hmm. Pearl and Joe Boot rode to a watering hole where they knew the stagecoach would stop to rest the horses, possibly in an attempt to hide her identity or seem more intimidating. Pearl had cut her hair short and mm-hmm. was wearing men's clothing during the robbery. She was also armed with a 38 caliber revolver while Joe Boot carried a Colt 45 revolver. You see, I'm going to be honest, it's the gun that I would find the most intimidating. <laughs> out, of all, out of the three things, like the haircut, the outfit, the gun. Probably the gun is on the top of my list of things yeah, I'm going to personally probably. be a little bit But like, about. if you think about it, woman with a gun, man with a gun. During this yeah. time period. Ah. One of them would be more intimidating. Exactly. I see you make a completely valid point. I'm just saying. I'd, I'd be looking at the gun. I mean, first. obviously the gun is the most threatening part of this whole ensemble. Yeah. They were at the watering hole. They had their revolvers. And when the coach appeared near the watering hole, they both jumped in front of the coach and held their guns on the driver, ordering him to stop. So wait, wait, wait. They jumped directly in front of the moving coach, or is it stopped? I believe it was moving at this point. Okay. I mean, sounds I extra. I confirm that, but yeah. Well, I mean, most stagecoach robberies are extra during this time period. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's. I'm just saying, like, it's par for the course. In really. like, in like the very glamorous like Netflix adaptation of this that I'm picturing, like. The coach is still moving. It's like kicking up a lot of dust. <laughs> They're like going on the count of three. Dramatic as all hell. Yeah, definitely. So they jumped in front of the coach. Joe Boots kept his gun trained on the driver while Pearl actually robbed the passengers. She managed to take two firearms from the passengers so they mm-hmm. couldn't shoot back. Along with $431.20, which in today's currency would be equivalent to around $12,986. Ooh, that's not bad. No, it was pretty good. I'd take it. I'd take it. Yeah. Well, here's a detail that I really love about this robbery. After robbing all these people, she actually left $1 with each of the passengers so they could buy something to eat when they arrived in Florence. Oh, actually, yeah, I kind of like that. Actually. I love that. 
that's like, you know what? I am absolutely robbing you of your life savings, but you don't want to go. I don't need to go hungry. I'm not that much of a monster. Like, I'm very sorry about this. I am in need of the money. I will pay for your food for the inconvenience, but I'm still <laughs> I'll, taking your I'll money. Pay for, I'll pay for your food with your money. <laughs> with your money. <laughs> that I've given back to you. <laughs> Literally, like, possession is nine-tenths of the law, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, yeah, she she left a dollar with each of the passengers, and mm-hmm. then um, she took the driver's revolver, um, so he couldn't shoot at them. And then she and Joe Boot escaped on horseback. I'm loving it. After they vanished, the driver unhitched one of the horses from the stagecoach and headed back to town to alert the sheriff on what happened. So accounts of the following few days kind of vary. According to Pearl, the two of them took a circuitous route in an attempt to lose anyone that might be following them as they made their future plans. But other accounts claim the pair got lost in their attempt to escape and wandered in circles. That would be me. That would be me. I have the spatial awareness of a very small dog that has been (laughs) hit upside the head. So that truly would be me. Oh, dear. Can you imagine? You, You pulled off this... This like, fantastic heights, and then you get lost trying to escape. Like, are we there yet? <laughs> <laughs> I I think, see, I said we should have turned right at the last intersection, all right? We should have turned right. Oh, dear. Oh, oh dear. Well, regardless of whether it was intentional or they got lost, the pair was found asleep next to a large campfire by Sheriff Truman of... Pinnell County, on June 5th, 1899. Well, that was their first big mistake, just going to sleep. Going to sleep and having a fire going while they slept. Yeah. You should just never, you just shouldn't sleep. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But so they, they were found, and they were arrested, and Sheriff Truman reported that Joe Boot surrendered quietly while yeah. Pearl fought to avoid capture. Did I mention I love her? <laughs> did, did, did I did I mention that yet? Because I just would like to reiterate that I yeah. love her. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad okay. that... So, following their arrest, Pearl was taken to Tucson since the jail in Florence didn't have any facilities for a lady. What kind of facilities do you need? Like, prisons at this time were so rank. Like, people died in prison from the... from, like, the conditions. Like, what? kind of facilities like are we talking like you know it's not like there's a bin for the sanitary napkins you know what I mean well I think largely what it is is that the jail was not equipped to keep a female prisoner separate from the male prisoners okay okay that makes sense so basically they just had one jail cell and they threw everybody in there basically well I mean like they're not expecting a bunch of ladies to go around robbing stagecoaches. There's not even a bunch of ladies around in the <laughs> Wild West in general. Exactly. Okay. Okay, that makes sense now. Okay, yeah. Thank you. So she had to go to Florence because the Flor- or the, she had to go to Tucson because the jail in Florence was not prepared to take her in. Tucson actually had like a section for female prisoners. A woman um, had existed in Tucson. Before yeah. this point. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
The fact that Pearl was the only woman to have ever robbed a stagecoach sparked a media frenzy, which Mm -hmm. Pearl took full advantage of. And I don't blame her one bit. Love her. Yeah. She gave interviews to the media from jail and fascinated the locals. And get this, uh, one local fan even gave her a bobcat cub to keep as a pet. Where's my bobcat cub? (laughs) That's a good question. Excuse me, all of my admirers. Where is where's my bobcat? Listeners, we accept bobcat cubs as um, donations to our form. Yeah, as a form of support. (laughs) So you you should get on that, quite frankly. Absolutely. So the room Pearl was held in during this time wasn't a normal jail cell, but was instead built of lath and plaster. Which I don't know what that means, but plaster. I'm good with plaster. Plaster. Well, both of them are relatively weak building materials, for reference. And so, Pearl (laughs) was able to create an 18-inch hole in the wall through which she escaped on October 12th, 1899. This would be such a good Netflix series. Absolutely. She was recaptured two weeks later in New Mexico, though. But this she is, made again, a this very is like Brit- escape. This is the Brit in me where I'm like, leave the state. And then I remember how you can't probably leave the state on horseback well, in the space of two weeks. Well, and New Mexico is not in Arizona. Oh, so so she did. She did actually leave the state. Yeah, she did. Okay, then I'd like to take back my previous comment. I do not understand America, and I do not understand geography. <laughs> and she it's, did her best. Yeah, New New Mexico is a state that's next to Arizona, so she was leaving the state. Okay, but the thing is, like, right, maybe she should not have given the interviews if she knew she was going to become a fugitive, because surely the interviews would have had, like, artists' impressions of her mm-hmm. and descriptions of her appearance. Yep. So, just saying, Pearl. Just Probably saying, Pearl. a bad choice. Didn't think that one through, did you? But so she was recaptured, mm-hmm. and then not long after, Pearl and Joe Boot were taken to trial for robbing the stagecoach. Co- mm-hmm. During this, Pearl made an impassioned plea to the jury during her trial, claiming she needed the money to help her ill mother. And it Does was she apparently, have a yeah. Well, she got the letter. Oh, of course she did. Of course she did. I was like, wait, wait, wait. Does she have a mother? Yeah. I miss, I'd forgotten that part of the story. Yeah, Sorry. she got the letter, and that's why she was desperate for money. Uh, so she explained all that to the court, and it was apparently quite effective, as the jury ended up finding her not guilty. No way. Immediately after the acquittal, however, she and Joe Boot were rearrested on the charge of tampering with U.S. mail a charge for which they were both convicted during a second trial. When did they tamper with the mail? Um, so the other thing about stagecoaches is that they carried mail. Oh, but isn't doesn't that fall under... Okay, so double jeopardy isn't a thing yet, is it? In American law. I don't think so. Okay, that makes sense. Because I was going to say that basically, I feel like that skims a little bit too close to like, in a modern day trial, that would skim way too close to double jeopardy. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, okay, so they're convicted for tampering with the mail. Yep. 
Uh, they're convicted, and Joe Boot received a sentence of 30 years. What? While Pearl received a sentence of only five. Well, well. They were both sent to Yuma Territorial Prison to serve their sentences. Joe Boot, sly bastard, managed to get a position driving supply wagons to inmate workers outside the prison walls. Who gave him that job? Come on. Come on. Yeah. Well, one day, while driving a wagon, he ended up escaping and was never seen again. I was going to say, like, what a shock. The person who has a track record of escaping escaped. Well, he wasn't the one who escaped. It was Pearl. Sorry. Sorry, Rexy. For reference, guys, for anyone listening, it is now approaching 1am <laughs> in Tokyo. I'm tired. But to be fair, he did he did run away after the thing. He was on the run with her. So he has a track record of being on yeah. the run. Yeah. But yeah, so um, he's never seen again. He's Amazing. never seen again. And at that point, he had only completed two years of his sentence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so satisfying as a case. Yeah. Well, Pearl, she continued to receive attention from the media while she was imprisoned. How old is she at this point? Like the point? Um, early twenties still. Yeah, okay. she she ran away when she was twenty two, and it was only like a couple of years later. Okay, so she's actually about. She's probably quite close to our age. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. What have What have we done in our lives? By the time she was our age, she'd robbed a stagecoach. She'd been on the run. She'd escaped prison. And here we are with our podcast. Here we are with our podcast. Basically the same thing, really. Really. Yeah. yeah. So she received attention while she was in prison, and the warden of the prison enjoyed the attention Pearl attracted and gave her a large cell with a yard where she could entertain reporters and take pictures. Incredible. Incredible. Uh Yep. Pearl also used her position as the only female at the prison to play the guards off each other in an effort to improve her situation. Oh my god, you mean she was, she was basically, she was flirting with them? Yes. Yes! That is absolutely what I mean. I feel like there needs to be, somebody who's listening, can somebody keep a track of how many times I've actually said, I love her, in this? Because <laughs> I feel like we're on at least number six. So, and That's I stand by it. That, yeah. An icon. She's an icon. In 1902, only three years into her sentence, Pearl was released after Arizona Territorial Governor Alexander Brody issued a pardon for her. The reason given for the pardon, with the condition that she leave the territory, is still (laughs) unclear. Get out and never come back. It was stop flirting with the guards. Just leave. You've caused enough trouble. Well. (laughs) Please go. Okay, but she clearly isn't going to stop from that tone of voice. Well, no, not quite, but you are more correct than you know. So at the time, Pearl claimed the pardon was because she was needed in Kansas City to act in a play her sister had written about her life of crime. However, later rumors emerged that Pearl was pardoned because she had become pregnant in a manner that would embarrass the prison. Yes! She hooked up with one of the guards! Yes! <laughs> but since there's no evidence Pearl ever had a child after leaving the prison, mm-hmm. this is either completely untrue or 
Pearl pulled off a very successful grip to get out of prison. Or, or to be fair, you can become pregnant without ever actually carrying that pregnancy to full terms. That could also have happened. Yes. But I do, I do like very the idea good. of her carrying off the pregnancy stunt in this prison full of men who had have no clue how a pregnant woman looks or acts or behaves, any of it. Yes, absolutely. So she's like, I'm pregnant. They're all like, yes, you have no reputation of lying in the past, which is <laughs> why you're here. Like, nobody, okay. Good job. Good on you, Pearl, if that's yeah. the case. Yeah. So, well, after after leaving prison, Pearl largely disappeared from public view. She did end up playing the lead in her sister's play for a while, and it was about Pearl's life. So yes. she was basically reenacting the stagecoach robbery. So basically, this is like a self-insert fan fiction, but yes. like a fan fiction about your own life. I think that's beautiful. Yes. And then following this, she worked for a while under an alias as part of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. Oh, she made it! She made it. She got back to where she started. She made it to Buffalo Bills. Oh, that's actually, I actually like that. See, this is Hollywood. This is peak, this is Oscar bait right here. (laughs) This story. Reformed and made it to the Wild West show. I'm happy for her. And accounts of her later life are sketchy and contradictory. Okay. One common story has her returning to Tucson 25 years after her imprisonment to visit the jail cell that once held her. Mm-hmm. And folklore from Gila County claims that Pearl returned to Globe, Arizona, and peacefully lived there until her death on December 30th, 1955. Or 1960. The date of her death is unclear. Oh my god, so she that she that's so wild that she lived through to 55 or 60. That's so relatively recent, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's incredible. But like, I love the fact, I'm like, why cannot both, I'm in, in the Hollywood Oscar bait version of this that I'm directing in my head that's also probably done by Netflix. She does both. We do both. Like, she goes and lives out the rest of her days and she goes back and visits the prison. Yes, absolutely. I kind of like the idea that she goes back to visit the prison. Like, Do you feel like that's like when you go back and you like go back to your childhood home or you go back and you're going back as like a screw you? Yeah, a screw you or um, a kind of like just remembering where you were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. This is largely the biggest part of her life. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I could see either. I could see either. Let's know which way we should direct this in the (laughs) visual novel in the comments. Which way, how do we play this? Netflix, hire us to write this. Okay, but in the visual novel, like, you could play as one of the guards. That's the thing that I just occurred That's to me. That's true. As- you could play as the guard that she gets pregnant by. Perfect. Or thinks. Or, or thinks. Has everyone, thinks. Or, or has everyone think that she got pregnant by. <laughs> Can you imagine she was, like, playing them all off against each other? Every single one of these ten Every guards. Every single one of them thought they were the dad. Yeah. And, like, they just didn't... Because they just never spoke to each other about, you know, you know, healthy things like their feelings or their day, because that would be a threat to their masculinity. They were just like, all right, mate. And they were like, all right. And they'd stand there and silence the whole shift. Nobody knew. <laughs> Perfect. So eventful, eventful life until she's released and then lives kind of quietly until she dies. 
But regardless, her her notoriety as one of the last recorded stagecoach robbers and the only female stagecoach robber lives on, and I think it makes her one of the most fascinating outlaws of the Wild West, honestly. Yeah, honestly, I that was that was a wild ride, and I loved every second of it. I love the outlaws. They have such wild lives. I feel like we should do more outlaws because, like, obviously, like in the UK, we have the we have highwaymen. I should yeah. do highwaymen. Oh yeah, do highwaymen, and okay. I definitely have like a full list of outlaws. I would love to cover. All right, well, that's going to be a thing, guys. So I hope you like highwaymen slash outlaws slash whatever equivalent there is <laughs> in various cultures because we're going to try and cover a lot of them. Heck yeah, outlaws, gang members, yeah, all of that. In 2019, that is what we're here for in true crime. <laughs> we're not here to do an episode on, like, Ted Bundy or the Night Stalker or Jane Wayne, uh, John Wayne Gacy or whatever for, like, the 10 billionth time. Killer or, or the Zodiac Killer or the Ripper. There will be no Zodiac Killer up here in this podcast. <laughs> we're only here for theft and shenanigans. But I can recommend a good Zodiac Killer podcast to you if you want, so. But also, but also, yes. See, I think the point, I think, within true crime, that my reasoning behind is not doing certain cases is that so many of them have been done so well and with so much detail. You have to ask yourself when you start off as a relatively new true crime podcast, uh, do you have anything to add yeah. to that collective narrative like very yeah. do you have something that you specifically can add and at the point that i think we do i would say we should do it but i don't think right now i can think of anything i can add that has not already been done yeah you most of those cases are like so old that there's really nothing new coming out about them and so when another podcast covers it so well there's just not a lot of point in covering it again like they already did it we can't add to that mm-hmm. I feel like some of them are so famous and are so embedded in the cultural narrative as well that like we could talk about like the cultural effect of them, maybe, but I don't think we could necessarily talk about the cases. Also, I have an issue with, for example, in cases like Ted Bundy's, as constantly repeating, or Jack the Ripper as well, like constantly repeating the name of the murderers. I have a personal issue with that because I think, for example, like Bundy was a narcissist. That's what he wanted. And I wonder if, like, within true crime, if, like, we continue to, like, discuss his case in ever more detail, and in detail that has already been done before us, if we're maybe adding to that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm far more interested in the victims in those cases, because I think we hear far less about them. Don't really well, need to hear about Ted. I've heard a lot about Ted. Yeah. <laughs> Enough about him. Well, all this to say... We're going to cover more outlaws and like, I want to cover the famous gang members of the 1920s and stuff too. Ooh, yeah, I would love that. So we're going to cover a wide variety of cases that don't normally get covered. I am curious about maybe at some point covering the Cray twins, but I feel like that maybe has been very done within like a British context, but I don't know within like an international context, whether you know a lot about the, the Cray twins who were like, but again, there's been the, the recent film. I just dropped the thing that I was messing with. So there's a horrible clatter on that recording and we're all going to pretend that didn't happen and I have good hand-eye <laughs> coordination. Thank you very much. Um, but I feel like with the recent film, with like Tom Tom Hardy, right? I don't know if that, if me talking about the actual real life 
network at the time would be interesting for people or not. But anyway, let us know. There's a comment section. That's what you could use it for. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. We we appreciate comments. Nice ones. We appreciate nice comments. Nice comments, obviously. No flames. No flames. Oh god, you remember like no flames. That's oh my god. I'm having yeah. I'm having fanfiction.net flashbacks right now. Those messages at the end where it's like capital letters interspersed, where it's like, no flames, please. Yep. I'm actually okay with that. Like that can be our we're gonna have the fanfiction.net policy of comments in this podcast. Which basically boils down to no flames, brackets. If you can't say anything nice, maybe you could just not. That's also okay. Yeah, absolutely. You could, <laughs> you could just take your hands away from the keyboard and go pet a cat or go like, outside. Pause for a second. Take a deep breath. Examine your life. <laughs> Think about your life. Think about your choices. I just want <laughs> you to make the best choices for yourself. We like, are here to support you and help you... Like, Create your best life. Yes. Live your truth. All right. <laughs> as long as it's not blaming us. Yes. That's it. Like, that's yeah, a good I, note I think to that's, end on. That's the end of it. <laughs> that's the end of it. Although, do you have, do we have final thoughts? I feel like those might have been our final thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> those were pretty good final thoughts. Uh, the only thing I have left to say is just, I love Pearl Hart. She is great. In my final thoughts, I'm like, so me and Ali are going to kind of look into presidency. I'll co I'll, I'll do co-presidency with you, oh, Ali. Yes. You, just only because it's you of the Pearl Heart fan club. I think we could make some good merch. Is all I'm saying. We're we're going to be like the founders of so many found, uh, fan clubs, Pearl Heart and Jack Saul. I would like to be the fan club president of the 96 barrels of alleged apple cider 95, vinegar. 95. 95. See, this is the more or less, the more or less, for some reason in my head it's not. The it's more not, or less covers it, yeah. Yeah, okay, so, sorry, I'm going to be the, God, I'm such a fake fan president. <laughs> it's okay, it's new. We're still learning here. Okay, I'm still working on it. I'm working on my bid for the presidency. Ali, you can be vice president as the person that actually did the case. Oh, thank you. So generous. Like, you're too kind. I know. I just, I just, I'm just a giver. You know, I just like to give. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it, as always, it is lovely to be able to sit and tell you guys about all this stuff. Some of it that you didn't want to hear about. Some of it that you did. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Dead Cat on the Line is written and produced by Ali Drain and Sarah Caulfield. Sound editing is done by Ruth Brown. For more information, you can find us at Dead Cat Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. No cats were harmed in the making of this podcast. We even have a real live one. You can see him on our social media pages. Thanks for listening.